0: and turn to 1 Peter chapter 1 as we continue our study in this letter. We're going to be looking at verses 13 to 16 this morning. I'd like to read it for us. 1 Peter 1, beginning at verse 13. Peter writes, Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, Be holy, because I am holy. Amen. Let's pray. Father, as we come into your presence today to listen to your word, we are told in the scripture so clearly that you are a God who is holy. You are awesome in your holiness. You are so different from anything that we know or even can imagine. You are pure. With you, there is no hint of sin. There's no shifting shadow, as the Scripture said. And Father, we are sinful, fallen creatures, and how can we ever be like you? It's only through the grace of God and through the blood of your Son that covers all of our sins that we can become holy in your sight. And so, Father, today as we think about these things, would you help us to understand what it is that you want us to do in response to your grace? And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. We come to the point in Peter's letter now where he is going to move into the practical application. In verses 1 to 12, he's laid kind of the theological foundation of our faith, that God has saved us for a reason. He saved us by his grace. He has caused us to be born again into this living hope that we have. And we have a lasting inheritance in heaven that he has prepared for us, and it is there, it's waiting for us in that day when he calls us home. And all of that is just so important to understand because none of the practical applications are going to be possible for you and me unless we have been born again by the Spirit of God. You can't just sort of humanly try to do all these things by our own strength and effort. No, it's a work of God that sanctifies us, that changes us, and it's only possible when we have the Holy Spirit within us. Scott McKnight, who was commenting on this passage, said that salvation is necessary for God's people to live like God's people in the world. There's no other way that this can be done except by the grace of God. And so what we're going to look at today is really the answer to Peter's question of how do we live in a fallen world? How do we live in those challenging times and whether uh, there are believers today in China who are living and suffering under persecution or in Indonesia or the Middle East or whether it's in Latin America and countries like Peru or Ecuador or in the United States where we are struggling to live for Christ in a fallen world, how do you do that? And what Peter tells us here, if if you're a person who likes outlines, and I do, this is kind of where he's headed as we think about these things. He tells us that there are four things that we should do as God's people. Number one, we're to live with hope. We're to understand what is ahead of us in heaven and all that God has prepared for us. We're to live with holiness. We're to be distinctive as Christians. We're to live in a way that honors God and that shows the difference that he's made in our life we are to live with reverence that's our worship for God and we live a life that's really directed toward him and then we are also to live with love and in particular uh, it's love for one another that is so important when we are going through hard times we need one another and we show that by the way that we love and care for each other now I look at that list and I think about it and I go you know what That is just really good. That is so practical, I think. When we are uh, discouraged, when we are dealing with tough things in our life, when there are trials that come or afflictions, what do we need? We need hope. And we need to remember that we are the people of God and we live different than the world does. And we need to come into his presence and worship him and lift him up because that worship changes our attitude, changes our perspective. And we need one another in the body of Christ. Our fellowship, our uh, compassion, our ministry to one another is so important. It's such a huge encouragement as we walk in this life. Those are four things that each of us need, and they are four things that each of us can do. Well, in verses 1 to 12, Peter's been talking about our hope, and we've looked at that and seen how important it is that it is hard to live without hope in this world. And so Peter has reminded us of what we have in Christ. But God also calls us to be Holy, And that's what we're going to look at today. That's the subject of this message, is this call to be holy. And frankly, holiness is not a popular idea anymore. I mean, you just don't hear uh, many people say, you know, yeah, I want to be holy. Very few people, even sometimes even Christians don't aspire to be holy. And part of that is because we have a misunderstanding of what holiness is. I find many people have kind of negative stereotypes in their mind when they think about holiness. You know, they think of holiness as somebody who's really strict, you know, doesn't have any fun in life. Maybe they dress kind of weird, you know, and they just they're they're critical or judgmental, and they have this impression that holiness is someone who's like that. Kind of rigid, kind of strict, kind of odd, you know, and maybe they do these things that are eccentric and and Quite frankly, that's just not attractive to us. We may admire someone's commitment. Uh, They may be more aesthetic or something like that, but we really don't want to be like them. And I think that's a misunderstanding of what holiness is. The word holy means to be set apart or to devoted to something. Set apart or devoted to something. And for the believer, that means that we belong to God. We have been set apart to live for Him. And He calls us to live as His children, to reflect something of our relationship with our Heavenly Father. And there are really um, these two sides to it. On the one side, we are set apart to God, and on the other side, we are to be separated from sin. Holiness means separation from sin. That's the moral side, that we no longer live by the world's standards, but we live by the standards of God's Word. And when I think about holiness, I think of something that is healthy or whole. I think of a person like this. I think of a person who loves God and who loves people. That's the great commandment. I think of a person who experiences great joy in their life. They have experienced that inexpressible joy that Peter talked about here, and that just shows in their life there is a joy that is deep and abiding in their heart. I think of somebody who has victory over sin. It's not that they are perfect, but they are growing in Christ, and they are experiencing His victory in all areas of their life, and you can see their progress in the faith. I think of someone who displays the fruit of the spirit, that love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and all of those kind of qualities you can see. I think of someone who is authentic or genuine in their faith, and you know and I've, every uh, kind of study I've read about the next generation or millennials that are coming along, uh, the one thing that they're looking for in believers is authenticity that we're real about our faith, that we're honest about what's going on in our life and we are honest in our relationship with God. I think of a person who's holy as a person who is becoming the person God made them to be. That who they are is being used. Their uniqueness, their giftedness, their personality is being used by God. And they are fully devoted to Christ. They are useful to the Master. Now I look at that list and I go, you know what? I want to be like that. I mean, if that's what holiness is, if holiness is is someone who loves God and has great joy in their life and has victory over sin and who in increasing measure is displaying the fruit of the Spirit, who's real, who's, who's becoming all that God made them to be and who is fully devoted to Christ, I want that. I want to be like that because God wants us to live in such a way that others can see Jesus in us. And honestly, I long for that day when we will be in heaven, when the dross is removed from our life and the battle is done and we will be that person who is fully sanctified. Holiness is something we should all aspire to because it means we are becoming more like Christ. And that's a good thing. Well, how does that happen well as Peter writes in this uh, chapter he tells us that holiness begins with our mind and we see that in verse 13 there are three short commands he gives there in verse 13 that all relate to our thinking he tells us that we are to prepare our minds for action we are to be self controlled and we are to set our hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed The word prepare your mind for action, it's literally uh, to gird up the loins of your mind. And he's writing using an expression that people in that day would have understood. You know, they uh, had outer garments that were quite long and and when they had to do something that required more agility or if they were getting ready to to run or to work, they would take those outer robes and they would roll them up and they tie them about their waist. They would gird up their loins so that they could move more easily and freely. And Peter's saying, I want you to be ready as Christians for the battle that you are in. I want you to be ready for what's going to come. I want you to set your mind on this and understand what is ahead. And then he tells us I want you to be self-controlled. And that means sober-minded. Sober-minded. And in contrast, you can think when someone is drunk what happens. Well, that alcohol dulls their mind, dulls their thinking, dulls their reactions. And he's saying I want you to be self-controlled. I want you to be sharp. I want you to be alert. I don't want the enemy to catch you off guard, and so be ready. And set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. And I think about that word fully there. Set your hope fully, not partially, but fully. You know, I think sometimes for us living in the uh, country where we do, where we have so much that some people tend to think, you know, well, life's not bad, you know. I, I got a lot of stuff. I got my, my part of the American pie, you know, and I've got all these things that I want. And some people don't think about heaven in the same way because we have so much here and we're kind of comfortable. But can you imagine those first century believers who were being persecuted for their faith and who had so little. Some of them had come out of slavery and they had been redeemed by the grace of God. And they have so little. And Peter is writing to them to say, set your hope fully on the grace that will be given to you when Jesus Christ is revealed. All of those relate to our thinking. Are we ready for the battle Are we wise in terms of how we are living? Have we set our hope and our eyes on Christ and on what he's going to do for us in that day when he returns? A number of years ago, Tim LaHaye wrote a book called The Battle for the Mind. And he talked about our our struggle that goes on and how so much of our Christian life really starts right up here with right thinking. And in that book, he talked about the human mind and how fascinating it is. I mean, the average brain weighs about three pounds. They say it's got about 12 billion cells in it. And each of those cells are connected to about 10,000 other cells. I don't know how they measure all of that. But it sounds kind of cool as an illustration. So, you know, no. And so it, they say, you know, you've got about 120 trillion connections in your brain. It's the most complex piece of matter in the universe. And our mind has almost unlimited potential. They used to say that an average person used only about 10% of their mind's capacity. They're kind of rethinking that. They're thinking that we use more of it, but nobody's saying that we use all of it. And I sometimes wonder why. You know, what is that capacity there for? What is it that God intends in the future? Our brain houses our memory, our intuition, our conscience, our sexuality. It supervises everything that we do, both voluntarily and involuntarily. We don't have to think about breathing, or we don't have to think about our Heart beating. I mean, we, we can multitask in that capacity, you know? We can do something and, you know, our heart keeps beating. We don't have to send our kids out the door to school in the morning and say, remember to keep breathing today, you know? It's not like we need to do that. It's, it's amazing the way God has made us. But just like a computer, what we put into our brain really does matter and affects the outcome. Our brain picks up data from all of our senses, but the two primary ways that our brain gathers information is through our eyes and through our ears. And so it's very important that we be careful about what we watch and what we listen to. What are we putting into our mind? What are the things that we are seeing and looking at? Solomon wrote, Above all else, guard your heart, your mind, for it is the wellspring of life. And David said, I will be careful to lead a blameless life, and I will set before my eyes no vile thing. Now, those guys didn't have television or Internet to worry about. And David still got in trouble when he had wandering eyes with Bathsheba. And how important is it for us in this age where so many things are just kind of pushed in front of us to be careful what we see, what we watch, what we listen to? Because it really does make a difference in how we live. That if we are, you know, watching things that are just filled with violence or sexuality or sensuality, you know, it's going to affect us. It's going to dull our senses. It's going to make us more like the world than it will be making us like God. I've always loved Philippians 4.8 as a guide for our thinking. Paul wrote there that whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And it will make a huge difference in our behavior as well. If we will make it our habit to be in God's Word regularly, He will renew our minds and He will transform us by the power of His Word. In fact, we will never attain any degree of holiness without a regular intake of God's Word. Well, Secondly, Peter tells us too that holiness is a choice that we make. It's a choice we make every day to say no to the world and yes to Christ. And we see that in verse 14. He said, as obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. Don't continue to follow the world and the direction that it's going, but now follow Christ and what he has taught you. And what we find in Scripture, not just this passage, but throughout, is that holiness has these two sides to it, and both are necessary. On the one side, holiness is the work of God. Only God can make us holy. It's only He who can forgive our sins. It's only He who can change our heart. And through the Word and through the Holy Spirit that He's given to us, He begins this work of sanctification. He's given us everything that we need to live a holy life. All the the tools, all the resources are there to live in a way that pleases God. And only He can do that. But on the other side, It's up to us to use what we have been given. Our part is to walk in obedience as obedient children. And so that's why we need to be in the Word or pray. That's why we need fellowship together and worship. It's why we need to sometimes turn off the TV or not watch that show or not read that book or whatever it is that causes us to stumble. Because we need right thinking. We need to be purified and renewed in our mind. And later in this letter, in chapter 4, Peter's going to say that you have had enough time living in the past in debauchery. That maybe you came to know Christ later in life and He saved you out of what was a pretty decadent life. And Peter's saying you've had enough time in that. Put it behind you. And now live fully devoted lives for Jesus Christ. When I read this verse, it is so much like Romans 12:2, where Paul said, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, and then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, His pleasing, and His perfect will. Let me give you an example of that. Uh, This week we had our elder study, a leadership study that we're doing. And uh, one of the things we were looking at there, it was on character. And so we were looking at 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1 where it gives the qualifications for elders. And those qualifications for elders are really the marks of a mature Christian. You read through that list, it's not just for leaders or elders. That's the list that God wants for everybody. I mean, he wants us all to become mature in Christ, to be the kind of person who is who's wise, who's living a life that's above reproach, has a good reputation with people in the church and outside the church, who's honest, who's conscientious about his life, who's kind, who's a good husband, good parent, etc. And so um, what he's saying, in essence, is that when you look for elders or leaders in a church, they need to be mature believers. That's, that's really what he's saying. And one of the qualities that was emphasized there was this uh, the point that uh, the Scripture makes about uh, an elder is to be faithful in their marriage. Faithful in their marriage. And Gene Getz, who was writing about it, uh, talked about the Roman world and the contrast to what was taught in Scripture. And he said in the Roman world at that time, it was common for a man to have a wife and to have a mistress. Or he had a slave girl. Or there were temple prostitutes that were part of that pagan worship. And that's just the way life was in the Roman world. Uh, They had their festivals, you know, their celebrations of the god Bacchus. Or they'd uh, drink their wine and they'd have these kind of decadent type of parties. And what the scripture comes along and says then God says to these gentile believers that you need to be a one woman man. You need to be you need to be faithful in your marriage a one woman man. And that was countercultural. I mean that's not the world that these guys were living in and being saved out of and God was calling them to a new standard. You know and I look at our world today and I I frankly, I'm just kind of shocked sometimes by how quickly things seem to be moving away from Scripture and going downhill in terms of morality. And I'm shocked by how many students, even Christian students today, think that sex before marriage is normal, that it's okay, that that's just the way it is in our world. And I think of even in the area of pornography. I think I've, you know, I've seen studies where 40% of young adults think per- pornography is okay. I mean, what's the big deal? You know, if it gives me pleasure, what's the big deal? And I think of the studies that say that right now about 60% of couples live together before marriage. You know, you got to check it out, make sure you're compatible, and live together. That's what the world would say. And so, you know, I look at our world and we're not that far from Rome in terms of attitudes in this area of sexuality. And what does God say? He says, no, you need to be a one woman man. And what God says is you need to wait until marriage That sex is a beautiful thing, but it is to be within the bounds of a faithful, committed relationship between a husband and a wife. And it is beautiful and it is honoring to God when it's in that relationship. But outside of the bounds of marriage, it is sin. And he tells us in his word that marriage should be honored by all and the marriage bed kept pure for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. And I think in our world, it's like, you know, we just don't hear that because all the messages that are being trumped on the other side sound so loud that it drowns out what God says. Where are we going to hear this word from God? It's only when we come to his word, we listen to what he says, and we say, you know what? That's the way I want to live. Because the reason God gave us these instructions is not to uh, take all the fun out of life, if that's what people think. The reason God gave us his word is because his word is good. And when you live life according to his word... You experience great joy and you experience the blessing of God in your life. So, how are you doing in this area honestly? Is your heart pure? Are you careful about what you see? Are you careful about your thought life? Are you honoring God in your marriage by respecting the boundaries that He has given for our good? It's countercultural, but that's what it means to be holy that we choose to live by the truth of God's Word and not by the standards of the world. And thirdly, holiness is the call to be like our Father. When you listen to the instructions in verses 15 and 16, you know he tells us here that just as He who called us is holy, we are to be holy in all we do in every area of our life. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. We are to be like our Father in heaven. And it's interesting, there are so many commands that that just kind of follow that. We are to be holy because God is holy. We are to walk in the light because He is in the light. We are to love because He is love. We are to be imitators of God as dearly loved children. So we're looking to our dad to see what our dad is like and then we are to follow him. And I know sometimes that can be difficult. If you grew up in a home where you did not have an earthly father that you knew or where he was abusive or mistreated you, sometimes it can be hard to think of God as our heavenly father. But that's what Peter is talking about here. That we have a father in heaven who loves us, Who is holy, who is good, and who has called us to be like him in the world so that others might see Jesus in us. This week I got an email from James Lauderdale. You know, he's a missionary that we've supported for a number of years, working with Reach Global in Europe. And he was sharing in his letter one of his great joys recently. You know, his kids are getting older, and uh, his daughter, who's in high school now, had had the opportunity and led one of her friends to Christ. And this was a a young woman that she had gotten to know there, you know, and this young woman had questions. And so one day, Katia just asked if she'd like to sit down and talk a little bit. And she went through the gospel with her, and, and Katia had the opportunity to lead this girl to Christ. And I wrote back to James, and I said, how proud you must be. I mean, how cool is it when we see our kids involved in ministry and God using them to lead others to Jesus or to minister to serve in that way? And and he said it it was really neat. I mean, he goes, that's one of the greatest joys in life. His daughter, Katia, is becoming like her father. She has seen in her dad someone who has loved God and followed him and served him and now Kadia is doing the same thing. And that's what God wants us to do. He wants us to be imitators of Him. And to follow the example of Jesus, or to live as He lived. Because a holy life is a powerful witness for God. A powerful witness for God. There was a teenage student that was invited to go to camp for a week with one of his friends, and this young man was not a believer... But he thought, you know, it sounded kind of fun and uh, be a way to get away from home, you know, and enjoy some time with these friends that he had made. And so he went to camp for the week. And while he was at camp, you know, he heard the worship songs that were sung and he listened to the messages and the speakers that spoke. And, and um, God was using all of that in his life and the fun times he had with the kids that were there. And at the end of the week, he asked Jesus to be his Savior and Lord. But it was interesting when his friends asked him, well, what was it that you know, made the biggest impression on you? You know, it wasn't the music, even though that was good, and it wasn't the talks that were shared primarily as the big thing that hit his heart. It was the relationships he saw among the people. It was those relationships with others, and in particular even the relationship that the director had with his staff. He said, one example, you know, for example, when uh, after the lunch hour, you know, in the dining hall, when everybody comes in and they're all hungry and they want to eat and they just crowd in, and, and afterwards he said, I saw the cook come out of the kitchen. And she was tired, you know. She'd been up early in the morning to prepare breakfast and lunch and going through all of this. And he said the camp director stood up and he, he uh, gave her his chair there at the table and let her sit down. And, and he said the way that he treated his staff, his kindness, his joy, his relationship there was what really made an impression on him. And he said, if that's what being a Christian is, I want to be one too. You know, it was just such a a neat thing to see um, the relationships have that kind of impact upon this individual. And we've seen that too. We've had the stories where guys who have come, whether it's to the men's advance or to activities here, or for the women on the women's retreat or the times when you gather, and whether it's a class like Touches of Gold or others, where God has used those connections to build relationships and to bring people to Christ. That's the way it should be. We want to live in such a way that others can see Jesus in us. What strikes me about all of that is how often it is the little things that make the big difference. It's the things that you might not even notice, but it's just the way you go about your life as a teacher, as a businessman, as somebody who's working in the hospital. It's the things that you say and do that you aren't even conscious of sometimes. But God has just changed your heart. And the love of Christ flows through And it touches people's hearts. And then comes that opportunity where we can clarify the message and point people to Jesus. And both of those are so important. The way we live and the words that we use to tell someone else about Christ. So why is holiness a good thing? Holiness is a good thing because to be holy is to be like Jesus. It's to live again in such a way that others can see Him in us. It's being healthy. It's being whole. It's being real or authentic about our life. It's being the person God made you to be. You don't have to try and be somebody else. We just need to work to be like Jesus. And what, what does that mean? How do we get there? Well, in our personal life, it means we turn from sin. And where we see sin in our life, we confess it to God and we ask for His forgiveness. It means we guard our heart and our mind and we're careful about what we think about, what we watch, what we look at. And we turn to Christ and we find ourselves growing in our relationship with Him. We love His Word. We're digging into it. We're sharing it with one another. We're encouraging each other. We're praying together and we're choosing to be obedient to what we are learning. And we let Him fill us with His Spirit and work through us in ways and deeds of kindness and love that others can see the presence of Christ in us. Is that your aim? Is that your desire too? Let's make it our aim today. Let's pray. Father, when I think about your word and I come to it daily, it is just such a delight to read these things that are truth, And when we have the Holy Spirit in our life, there is just this resonance with the Spirit that says, Amen. God, that's what I want. I want to be like you. And Father, I pray that you would forgive us for our sins and help us in those areas where we struggle with our thought life or with actions or maybe it's with our tongue. Maybe it's what we say or what we've done. Lord, will you forgive us and continue that work to make us more like Jesus? Would you open our eyes to see the truth of your word and to see the needs of the people around us? And would you use us to be ambassadors for Christ who share the hope that we have and who are helping others to come to know Jesus too? We pray this in his name, amen.